Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. And welcome to the EDH Retcast. My name is Joey Schultz, and I'm joined, as always, by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, he recently played against a colorless Kozilek Eldrazi deck, and when he saw that player's first land drop, he was like, oh no, that's such a waste. It's Matt Morgan. You know, Joey, my mom recently taught me the secret to burning 2,000 calories in 20 minutes, and I was very surprised. I said, well, how are you doing that? And she said, well, just forget to take the brownies out of the oven. And oh, it, that's oh, not no. really a dad joke, but that's a mom joke. So good on her. <laughs> a mom joke. You're switching up the formula for 2022 then. <laughs> we're, okay. we're getting real wild. Dang, that one got me really good, Matt. I, I love that. And I hope that you, you have new brownies that will uh, be uh, nice and, and good we for you. Ha um, had to find a different way to get those calories in for sure. <laughs> for sure. Up next, when he recently played up against a Mardu Enchantments deck, he saw that player's commander and he was like, oh man, not again. It's Dana Roach. Um, to, to stay on the food category, um, what do you have for breakfast on a really cold January day? I, I would love to know because I'm hungry. What is it? The snowflakes. St okay. Well, Frosted the snowflakes. Frosted. <laughs> the dad jokes. No, there's are. more calories in the frosted ones, Matt. That that's fine. You can that's just more to burn. This is terrific. Stay warm, everyone. Anyway, this is the EDH Recast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we like to do is give all of that data a little more context. Matt, what is it that we are talking about in this week's episode? Well, this week, we're going to start the year off and just talk about ourselves. Well, maybe not ourselves. We're going to talk about our favorite decks, our favorite commanders, and what we just like to play in, in Commander. Yeah, yeah. We get so many questions from listeners, from viewers, about the decks that we play, a lot of questions about our decks. So we want to have this episode as the one that we can point people towards to be like, yeah, here are our deck lists. We do have the decks that we play linked in every single episode in the description or in the show notes. So you can always find a link to our deck lists down there. Um, but this is also a fun way for us to talk about the stuff that we actually play and why we like playing those commanders so much because they're just really, really fun. What are our favorite decks, our favorite commanders and why? What do we enjoy so much about EDH and the things that we play? It's going to be a bunch of fun. Real quick, before we get to our main topic though, let's pause and give a huge thank you to Josh Lequai and the folks at the Command Zone who handle the post-production work on the podcast, make and it look as spiffy as it does. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors for the show too. The Idiot Trek cast is sponsored by Card Kingdom and TCG Player, the two online retailers that are the equivalent of a hot cup of chocolate with little marshmallows <laughs> on a cold winter evening. Just go to the card in question and click on the vendor link down below. Doing so supports both the site and the show. And if you prefer to support the show directly, you can do so over at patreon.com slash EDHRECCAST. We have patron tiers of all sorts of levels, so if you want to get yourself a little something extra while also supporting the show, you can do that. You can join the Discord. You can join um, and look over at all of our historic challenger stats picks that we've done over mm -hmm. the course of the show. There's a whole lot going on there, so make sure you join over at patreon.com slash EDHRECCAST. And if you want to get yourself a very special shout-out, you can do that, um, which is exactly what Crystal Colson did this week. So thank you so much, Crystal, for heading over to patreon.com slash EDHRETCAST for getting this the super cool shout out. Yeah, thank you so much for the support, Crystal, and all of our patrons. We appreciate it so, so much. All right, fellas, let's get to our main topic now. We are talking about our favorite commander decks and then maybe some weird superlatives for our decks, like our strangest deck or decks that we think that still need work or stuff like that. Let's just talk about the different range of decks that are in each of our deck building suites. And, you know, before we even get there, let's actually talk about the specific motivations that we have as players that have caused us to build the different decks that we have. So, Matt, let's actually go back to you. What is it that is your favorite thing to do in each 
EDH. What is kind of the instinct behind all of the decks that you play? What drives you for Commander? Well, for me, the the big thing that really pulled me into Commander from other formats is just being able to kind of do whatever I want. Um, There's no de facto best thing um, like there are in competitive formats. You know, I've played my share of competitive standard, modern, legacy, any of those. Um, But Commander is something different altogether. There is no wrong or right way to play. uh, And that's just one thing that I've, I've really enjoyed. Like you play the things that you want to play. So I will play my Miri Weatherlight Duelist deck because you know, I just like playing aggro and maybe it's not really the best thing that you can be doing in a competitive format, um, but it's what I want to be doing. And that's why I love playing Commander because if you're playing those 60 card formats, typically you're playing things because you want to win, not because you want to experience things. And that's what really pulled me into Commander. Yeah, you are very, Let's. <laughs> I feel like your favorite phrase in the game is, all right, I'm going to move to combat. Yeah. And a lot of the decks that you play tend to have that as kind of another, like, I don't even know what you're going to be hitting with. It might be a couple of small dudes or it might be like a bunch of 60-60s. I'm never entirely sure, but I know that it's going to be a big, grand old time. And it's nice to have that just complete Timmy, Tammy element that is just overwhelming any battlefield that you're a part of. I mean, it's always fun. Like, you know, I'm doing something cool when like I start laughing to myself. Like if you've watched (laughs) twitch.tv slash EDH retcast, if I start giggling to myself, like getting excited, like, you know, I'm doing something like I want to be doing. Um, So it's just always really fun to get to do those things. Like I know Dana and Joey, both of you, you play for different reasons, but like, that's why I play. And that's why I like commander because I can do the things that I want to be doing. Right. For me, mine is a little bit more like Commander is a more of a I want to pick things apart and I do want to use it as a way to improve as much as possible. And I I sometimes will go a bit hard in the paint when it comes to deck building those things. And I will tune and optimize as much as possible. That is certainly a way that I really enjoy finding stuff out. And I like I like cheating costs. I like cheating things into play from the graveyard, especially or straight from my hand or off the top of my deck, stuff like that. Honestly, one of my favorite phrases in EDH is probably like, okay, I'll leave my commander in the graveyard. Like little things like that because you're like, oh, he's up to something. Like those are my personal favorite types of moments. And that does involve a lot of optimization, which is definitely a different take than where you're uh, coming from. But then now let's turn it to Dana. Dana, what is one of the more guiding principles for you and all of your decks then? Um, the, the thing that I like most about Commander in particular and what draws me to it and guides why I build decks is uh, I really look at this as a creative outlet. Brewing decks is a creative exercise for me. It kind of scratches mm-hmm. that itch in a way that most games I don't think ever have. So that's what keeps me coming back and has kept me interested over the years. It's the, it's the thing. It's the one way I can play magic and feel like I am, I am actually building something unique. I'm, I'm making a creation and then I can actually use it and play games and win games with it. Um, you know, for the most part, if you show up to a modern event, with your own fun, weird homebrew, that's not going to end well for you. Mm. Um, but you can do that in Commander. Like you can come up with something strange and weird and unique to you that feels like an expression of yourself and your own creativity, and you can actually play and, and, and win games with that. Um, that's pretty amazing, and that's that's what attracts me to both the format and that's what kind of guides most of the decks that I do brew. Well, and Dana, on that note, too, not only is creativity kind of encouraged in Commander, it's it's almost actively like discouraged by, you know, certain sure. types of players in, in 60 card formats. Um, yeah. I remember I showed up to a, a modern tournament with kind of there's some some weird um, renegade rallier and, and Safi Eric's daughter, very commander esque win conditions in a deck. Um, and somebody got real fussy because it wasn't something within the the given metagame that was being played at the time. Um, wow. And that was, it was weird because of like, we, we're, we're expressing ourselves here. Um, we're still playing the same format, um, but the creativity is kind of frowned upon in other formats. Whereas if you sit down at a game of commanders, you do something nobody's ever seen. Like there's excitement. There's, there's kind of wonderment also yeah. like, oh man, that's so cool. I've never even heard of that interaction. Whereas sometimes in those, those modern, legacy types of formats it's well why are you playing that why aren't you just playing the best deck right now that that everybody else is playing um and that's one thing that i i also just love is like people like seeing these different things that they they don't do themselves but other people can come up with where else are you going to see an angus mckenzie show up in a (laughs) in an actual game of magic right like it lets you dig way back into magic's history and find these weird old things that just see no play elsewhere and actually show up in games that are fun to use. 
That, that's that's pretty fantastic. Angus McKenzie is not expensive because of legacy. That is for yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. And Matt, as you said, it is this place where you can come and do stuff that you can't do in the other places. So let, let's talk about the things that we are doing here in Commander then. I, I just think it's so funny that like we kind of have accidentally, each of the three of us have slipped into that Matt being a bit of a Timmy, Dana being a bit of a Johnny, me being a bit more of a Spike a little bit. Like there's just, I think that's kind of funny that we've kind of accidentally fit into those things. But then we each also have all of those different appeals like in all of the decks too. So so let's just get to those. Dana, you had talked about having these things that are a bit more creative or especially unique to you. We've kind of accused you of being a little bit of a hipster deck builder. So I'm going to turn us to the question, what is your signature deck? What is the deck that you think people most associate with you? And Dana, I would love to know your answer because I'll bet that it is again one of those commanders that just doesn't have a whole bunch of decks to its name. Um, I would say it's tough to say what other people associate with you versus what you associate with yourself. Those don't necessarily True. match up. Um, I would say that number one, the deck that I probably most frequently get asked to play when I am out, like at a, an event or at, at a shop where I, you know, don't usually go. People generally ask to play against my Reki History of Kamigawa deck. So that's probably the one that I would guess probably is most associated with me by other people. Um, you know, it's not a terribly popular commander, um, particularly given all the strong options you can play in mono green. Uh, it, it encourages you to play kind of oddball card. You know, you're playing 28 different legendary creatures. So um, that's kind of unique as well. And so th- that is the one that probably stands out. That or my Glissa the Trader Death Touch deck for the same reason, like who's playing a deck with all Death Touch creatures for the most part. Um, and I've had both those decks together too at this point for like six or seven years. So they are both, they both function pretty well. Like I can play those decks and they don't often fall on their faces. Um, so it's always a game too. Like when I'm playing those decks, you can usually at least get a chance to see them in action. And I think that makes for an entertaining gameplay experience. Well, I mean, when every legendary creature that you play draws you a card off of Reki, or right. when every creature that you kill gives you your artifacts back with Glissa, yeah, I can see how that's um, an engine that is pretty potent when you build around it. And as you mentioned, you have a whole bunch of themes that you like to uh, to force yourself into, so the Glissa deck is all death touch. So you, in addition to having slightly more obscure commanders than the typical norm, you're also forcing additional themes into that, and that can unlock even more new synergies when you are forced to play even more obscure cards. Well, it also forces, I think, some creativity. I talked about that being important to me. You know, when I put some arbitrary restriction on a deck, my Glissa deck requiring all creatures have Death Touch, for example, um, there's a lot of creatures that are great in a Glissa deck that I would otherwise be running that would make the deck stronger. But because I have that restriction in play, um, it, it, it puts a, somewhat of a cap on how strong that deck can get. And I have to find ways to, if, if I want to power it up, I have to find other ways to do that. Same with that Reki deck, because I have restricted myself to only legendary creatures, I have to find power in other places. I can't run, you know, the typical green Lanoir Elves, Burns of Paradise, you know, ramp package, Sakura Tribelder kind of things to ramp up to some more expensive legends. I have to find ways around that because I'm insisting on only playing legendary creatures. So um, by putting those restrictions in place, it also, you know, forces me to be more creative than I even otherwise would probably naturally try to be. Fun stuff then. So Matt, that turns the question now to you. What do you consider your signature deck and why? I mean, when people are coming up to me or were, I guess, when back when we did have events, asking me to sign (laughs) Selesnia cards, um, I I think it marks my brand as definitely the Miri Weatherlight Duelist. Um, That's just my, my, just loves the combat step. It loves making combat hard for other players. Uh, Math is for blockers. And if you can't block then you get to do zero math um and that's the math that everybody wins that was when nobody does math that that ability is so potent whenever miri is tapped attacking someone else they can only block with one creature and then they can also as long as she's tapped can only attack you with one creature as well like uh, that that's so potent what an easy way to get through a whole bunch of attackers it's so devastating yeah i mean it, why worry about how many blockers somebody has if only one can block anyways um it's just a good way to make sure that whenever you do move to combat um you're gonna get a lot of people through and i really enjoy that so yeah just having a, a commander that really specializes in the combat step it just makes for a really good time 
on my end because I like flooding the board with creatures. Uh, I like to reward myself for flooding the board with creatures, having Panharmonicon with all those reclamation, or excuse me, EDH reclamation sage uh, <laughs> that you can get over at altersleeves.com slash EDH retcast. There uh, you can. But yeah, having all of those different uh, ETB abilities that I've put into the deck, having those that Panharmonicon is kind of a, a artifacts commander uh, within the Miri deck. It's, it's a lot of fun. I just, I love the deck. I've put a lot of hours into tuning it. Uh, so yeah, you might say like that's that would be my signature deck. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of afraid of you, you know, with your Panharmonicon, then doing an Avenger of Zendikar situation, followed up by a Panharmonicon Crater Hoof Behemoth. It could totally happen, and I'm not worried about it whatsoever. Not not a tiny bit. Not it not one bit. You shouldn't be worried because you're not going to be alive long enough to worry. <laughs> <laughs> so since Matt was mentioning the EDH Reclamation Sage art there, I have a feeling one of Joey's signature cards might also feature himself on an altar sleeve <laughs> yes yes it would i would say my signature deck here would be my sir conrad the grim deck which again you can get a edh retcast version of at altersleeves.com slash edh retcast it is super fun conrad with my gray merchant of asphodel mask being held there it's really awesome and he's so cool he can mill everyone and he does damage whenever creatures hit the graveyard from the deck or from the battlefield or when creatures leave my graveyard which is just super spicy i love this thing so much and I believe it's also a deck that scares both of you guys a whole lot whenever I pull it out because there's so much damage that's going to happen from that guy. If I give him lifelink, the damage he's doing, it is damage, not life loss. So a Whip of Erebos will give me tons of life every time I have creatures flitting in and out of the graveyard. One of my favorite spells to cast in that deck is Wake the Dead, which pulls creatures out of the graveyard, which then Conrad does damage to. And then he the Wake the Dead also sacrifices all those creatures right away, and so then he does even more damage. Or my favorite is Morality Shift, which switches my graveyard and my library. So that's a whole bunch of creatures creatures getting put right into my graveyard right from my library and conrad sees it and does like 30 damage it's so much fun i adore this deck mono black it's the best so yeah that, that's a commander that does all the things you want to do in one package joey so i get why it's your signature deck um is it also your favorite deck i guess is the question Ooh, good question. Yeah, uh, I don't think so. I think my favorite deck is actually a different deck, one that I've had longer. My favorite commander, my favorite deck, is also because it is my favorite commander. That's probably the Mimeoplasm, which I've had since the original precons in 2011. The Mimeoplasm being that Sultai guy, the 0-0, who, like, he eats two creatures from graveyards, becomes a copy of one of them, but then gets bigger equal to the size of the other one. I love that thing so, so much. It is so fun to find weird, wacky types of combinations that you can put together, you know, making it a blighted agent, but you give it 12 extra plus one, plus one counters, and then it's an unblockable infecting commander guy, or turning it into a Joda's Avenger, which can give itself double strike and shadow, so it can't be blocked, and then you just throw a whole bunch of counters onto it from a different thing, so you've got a lethal commander with unblockability right there, double striking, like, the fun combinations there, that is actually probably a bit more my favorite one, because I've just, I've had it so long it's my baby. So I think that that's probably my favorite, even if my signature is Conrad. I love that question though, Dana. So I have to ask about yours. You had mentioned your signature being one deck, but that is, is that also your favorite deck? Um, I mean, favorite does kind of shift like with what's your favorite song? Well, it's probably different today than it was three or four months ago. Um, <laughs> recently, I guess I would say my Veil of the Nightclad deck is my favorite deck and has been for a while. And I think that's because um, of all my decks, it has the most different paths to victory, it just plays differently every time I play it. Um, the way Vela works, she gives all my creatures Intimidate, and whenever um, a creature I control leaves the battlefield, each opponent loses a life. So right there, there's two two win conditions on my commander. Um, it's a deck filled with all colorless artifact creatures, so they functionally all become unblockable when Vela's in play, so I can kill people with just big creature beats. I have the, a way to make a lot of artifact tokens in that deck, um, token creatures specifically, that I can just mass sacrifice everything to like an Ashen Altar or something, and that Vela Death Trigger is going to deal damage to everybody. So like Ooh. that's a win condition I often have in that deck. I have ways to animate all of my mana rocks and stuff to turn them into creatures <laughs> that are then often unblockable with Vela, so I can swing through for lethal damage there. Um, you know, there's various Tezzerets that deal damage based on the amount of artifacts I control. That's a win condition. You know, there's alt-win conditions like Revel in Riches or Mirrored in Besieged that, that care about the amount of artifacts I have in my graveyard and I can kill people that way. It's just one of those decks that depending on what I've happened to draw, it could win a game 
in a totally different way five consecutive games in a row. And like that's always interesting to me, being able to just pick a different path every single time. I love that. That is so cool, dude. So Matt, how about you then? Do you also have a Demir commander as one of your favorites or is that not really yours? Can't can't say I do. No, um, <laughs> I'm just going to bring it back to the good colors. Uh, Selesnia, yet again, green, white. Um, where probably my my current, like Dana, I really like how you said, like saying a deck is your favorite is kind of like saying it's your favorite song where it changes depending on the week, depending on what the most recent game was, anything mm-hmm. like that. Uh, so I think I would have to say Kyler Sigardian Emissary currently is my favorite deck. That Love thing it. out of the box was super fun. Making a few upgrades still was even more fun. So I would definitely say Kyler Sigardian Emissary just because it's one of those little decks that all of the, the pieces add up to being greater, like the, the sum of all the parts is greater, whatever that saying is, uh, where all yeah. those, these little things are going on, but then they make this huge impact on the on the board. And I just love those types of decks where Kyler Sigardian Emissary just gets bigger and bigger for all my humans, and my humans, which may have been small, don't end up small at all. They get very, very big very quickly. And I just love those types of decks where, yes, I'm able to pump out a bunch of very small things, but they don't stay small for long. Uh, it's just such a fun thing to do. And then obviously going to the combat step, that th- this deck just does that so well. So yes, Kyler Sigardian Emissary, that's where a lot of my, my enjoyment lately has come from is that deck specifically. I live in fear of that Kyler deck because you play a five mana two two and I'm just like eh, you know that's not a really big deal I'm sure it's gonna be fine and then you it cast, doesn't say a two two though and then you cast like an increasing devotion and you put five humans into play and then Kyler sees all of them gets plus five and then gives plus five to all of those human tokens you just made so you didn't just play five one one tokens you just played five six sixes and your commander now hits for seven and it only gets worse from there like it's terrifying you don't have to make me like the deck more i already like it (laughs) but also like not even just how powerful the deck is or the powerful things that it can be doing but the power level that the deck resides in i think is where i'm finding most of my enjoyment with commander 2 it's still a pre-con plus 10 cards or so i haven't done a bunch of upgrades to it uh that's definitely not optimized or fully tuned anything like that but you know it still is able to do some some powerful things out of the box just due to the nature of the commander and that's just where I think my my enjoyment is, is that power level of it's a pre-con plus a few maybe powerful interactions, but that's it. I'm not tutoring. I'm not trying to go overboard with, with really tuning it, like going to the gills, but just enjoying kind of what it was supposed to be out of the box. Yeah, and it gives you a really nice diverse array of uh, ways that you can play it against a couple of different types of boards. And like, yeah, that is that is super, super cool. I do think, though, that since, you know, we, we've mentioned some of our favorites and we've had them for a long time or we have reasons for liking those color combinations for a long time. But those are ones that we have a lot of experience with as well. And that also kind of means a bit of streamlining in some cases or like we kind of know what they're about. You know, you say a human tribal deck and I feel like people probably know what that's about. But I want to flip the script now. Let's talk about instead of those decks, let's talk about our weirdest deck. What is a deck that is like pretty unusual? It's not the streamlined or mainstream even. Like Dana, you again are kind of our hipster builder guy. When it comes to your decks, what do you think is the one that has people scratching their heads the most whenever you see that whenever they see you pull um, it out of your bag to play? I mean, this is a little bit of a cheat because it's a relatively new deck. Um, only maybe a month and a half old at this point, but I have an Anax Hardened in the Forge mono red deck that's all permanent. It has no instant or sorcery spells in it. So Anax mm. by himself is a relatively unpopular commander. He's He has less decks on EDH Rec than Lovisa Cold Eyes does. Okay. Um, and you don't know what Lovisa Cold Eyes does, so that's how unpopular Anax is. A little bit. Um, <laughs> But, so that one definitely is odd. It's it's not a popular mono-red commander. You're pretty limited what you can do anyway playing that way. And, you know, not only is red kind of limited in that you can't interact with some things, you definitely can't interact with things when you're, all you're playing is permanence. So that's probably the oddest one. Um, and it's been a lot of fun to build, too, so I've really enjoyed that deck. Prior to that... Um, it would probably be playing mono white planeswalkers with Jerry with eyes open because again, mono white is already pretty limited as is. And to try to play a mono white super friends deck is um, also pretty limiting. So it, it, that would, it would be one of those two for sure. 
I, I love that. And it's so cool, too, because playing all permanents in that mono red deck, that is there's actually direct synergy there. It's not just a gimmick, but yeah, like, right. Anax's power gets bigger equal to your devotion to red. So there's actually a good reason to do that because it makes your commander a really heavy hitter. And that's pretty darn awesome. I really, really enjoy that. I, I don't think... I have as kooky or an off the wall, uh, you know, sweet uh, as you necessarily. But I do think when it comes to my weird decks, Martin Stromgold might qualify. That is the four mana one one who, when he attacks, let's say he attacks with five other creatures. Since there are five other attacking creatures, he gives each of them plus five plus five. And that's been a fun experiment. And that's not one that I think most folks have heard of since it's a commander from Ice Age, something like that. But I did also kind of build that one on a dare from you, Dana. So it, it is kind of, you know, a, a good reason for that being a, a Aside from that, I feel like not many folks are as familiar with my other favorites, Virtus and Gorm, which are a really fun Golgari combination of partners from Battlebond, where Virtus will cut your life in half if he hits you. So it's an all-cutting-life-in-half deck. And that's also one that um, is kind of exciting for people to see, and they don't usually see that type of dynamic very often in Golgari. So those are probably my two weirdest deck picks, I would have to say. Yeah, if we're talking about weird decks, I think my Alila Artful Provocateur deck would have to be uh, definitely up there. It's... I say it's historic tribal, but it's just a bunch of sagas because I happen <laughs> to have a replenish, which has gotten to become a, a fairly pricey card. But I had one from back when I was playing in, you know, 1990, whatever. Uh, but yeah, it's just a card that I, I always thought was super fun. So I wanted to build a deck around that, basically. So uh, there's a bunch of sagas in my Alila deck. And so it's kind of my historic tribal where I'm trying to make it so that everything is legendary or just historic. So a, a saga, a legend, and, or an artifact, basically. Uh, it's on its way. And it's just a super fun deck to play uh, because I just, I'm able to get so much value over the course of the game just because, like, oh, yeah, if you happen to get another recursion of a of a saga card uh, that's a lot of value that you build up over a game yeah like what is that kiora bests the sea god which like oh. makes a huge oh. token and then steals other people's stuff and i think it may freeze other people's stuff too or something like that yeah. it's just like oh i think i know what i'm doing playing against a couple of fairies and there's some artifacts and some enchantments and i think as we go oh no he keeps recurring this one saga over and over <laughs> again and he stole all my stuff and there's a lot of krakens <laughs> yeah yeah it, it it's so much fun too because it's it, even casting replenish or anything that's going to put enchantments back on the battlefield even getting like two of those you you <laughs> just you can take over a game really quickly yeah, that is a really good pick. I love that. And it is slightly outside of your typical Selesnia Agro Wheelhouse. Uh, it is. It's Selesnia Agro Wheelhouse. See, that's how weird it is. It's getting me tongue-tied. That's This is your fault, you trickster fairy, trickster Elida. I, I, did, I did no tricking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So you called that one historic tribal. That does make me wonder. You've also talked about a couple of different tribal deck options there. You had Kyler as human tribal, and then this one has a pseudo uh, historic tribal. Dana, do you have a tribal deck? Is this a style that you enjoy playing, or is it more? Do, do you not want to be uh, subscribed just to a single creature type? Is this a, a type of deck that interests you at all? The tribal style? Uh, yeah, it definitely does. I, I have an Asperia Supreme Judge Sphinx tribal deck. And it's one of my, my older decks. Um, early on, I had wanted at some point to build something tribal, and I wanted to build not what everyone else was building for tribal decks. <laughs> um, and, and I wanted a Consecrated Sphinx in a deck, too. It's a fantastic card. But I never wanted to just run it in a blue deck just to run it. Like I wanted to have a, a reason to say, hey, I'm running Consecrated Sphinx. Um, so I built a Sphinx tribal deck. Um, there weren't a ton of choices for commanders at the time. There was a couple of Asperias, and, th and that was it. Um, so I, I, I went with Superior, Asperia Supreme Judge, um, and the pickings were pretty dire back in, you know, 2014. Uh, I had to run Petra Sphinx, which is a mono-white Sphinx without flying from back in Legends just to get enough bodies. Wow. But since then, we've got a lot more Sphinxes, so the, the deck has, has gotten much better options since then. But yeah, I, I have a, a, an Asperia Sphinx deck, and then recently... Um, I don't really know why I, I've always wanted to build something around Silumgar, the Drifting Death. Um, and I, try, I tried a bunch of different things, but I finally just like, I guess I'm just going to build a second tribal deck. So I have a, a Demir Dragon tribal deck with Silumgar as the, the captain as well. So I have technically two tribal decks going right now. Well, there you go. Yeah, you, you have tried to make Silumgar work a couple times, but... Yeah, I, 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 I took the long way around and finally I was like, <laughs> I'm just going to build dragons. That just makes the most sense. So, I mean, you're pretty capped building black-blue dragons as well. There's, there's definitely mm -hmm. a hard power limit there also. Yeah. No, I remember that. You had been trying to do like, oh, I'll have stuff like arcane adaptation to turn yeah. all of these tokens into dragons. And it's just like, 
Dana, just play dragons. It's okay <laughs> there was, to just play big flying monster beaters. It's all right. There was just too many moving parts to make that work. But but now with with a new Kamigawa set, I think I'm going to get another black and another blue dragon. So hey, hey, perfect timing. Yeah, very, very much. I don't know if I'm going to get any new zombies from upcoming sets, at least not that one. Um, the tribal deck that I currently have is Wilhelt, which I will, I'd better not talk too much about him because holy crap, do I love Wilhelt. And that is actually a huge surprise to me. I am usually very not interested in tribal decks kind of at all, but this one got me. And I feel like maybe it's because I've been spending too much time with Matt Morgan because he likes playing a lot of those styles of decks too. But Wilhelt just makes a bunch of zombies and then he'll make more zombies and I'll eat the zombies and I'll draw cards and I'll use stuff like Rooftop Storm to play them all for free. I'm not going for any combos in this deck, although I know that he can be a very combo centric commander if you want to build him that way. But for me, I'm just like, give me all of these zombies that pump each other up, make a bunch of tokens and then just swing like this thing is so much fun to play and I love little moments where like I can leave him in the graveyard and then I'll use like a living death to bring all of my zombies back or a zombie apocalypse to bring all of my zombies back it is so much fun and Matt I blame you well I mean we joke about coat of arms being kind of an overrun type of effect for certain decks that zombie deck definitely could turn coat of arms into an overrun effect because all your zombies get plus 50 plus 50 which just saying that makes me want to build a will help deck i'm not going to <laughs> i don't want to i don't want to encroach on your your space but it sounds pretty nifty yeah we're, we're gonna have to fight to see who can make the biggest of of each of those i'll oh. have a whole bunch of different zombie <laughs> lords but then you'll have your commander your human travel commander over there just giving all of your humans plus 10 plus 10 or whatever and we'll just we'll have to have a humans versus zombies race we, we've done that, but we'll we'll probably do it again over at twitch.tv slash edhretcast. There you go. There you go. So, okay, that's a good um, establishing beat here for us. So we've seen some of our signature decks, some of our favorites, but these aren't necessarily the same as the decks that, you know, we play the most often, or they're not necessarily even our strongest decks or the decks that we're tuning up most frequently. So that'll be fun to get into in the second half of the show. Before we get there, though, how about real quick, we pause to challenge some stats. It's one of our favorite segments here on every episode of the EDA Trekcast because there's so much data on EDA track, but we don't always agree with it. Sometimes we think that cards see too much or too little play, so we like to challenge those statistics. Matt, do you mind starting us off this week? What's your challenge? So my challenge is a card that just every time that I've cast it lately, it's just been impressed me so much. Uh, and that card is Thrilling Discovery. So it's a red and a white for source that says you gain two life, then you may discard two cards. And if you do, you draw three cards. Uh, this card, it's it's so far down the list, and we've talked about sets like Commander Legends or Strixhaven in this case, where there are so many just bomb, amazing, just eye-grabbing cards that a lot of just very good, just quality of life type of cards kind of get pushed down and, and forgotten about. This is one of those cards. I just, I think for Thrilling Discovery is such a great card just for so many different red-white X-based decks. Uh, but one deck that I think especially is not playing it compared to other similar cards is Alicia Who Smiles at Death decks. Uh, so Alicia is only playing Thrilling Discovery in 11% of decks, whereas cards like Faithless Looting or Cathartic Reunion are getting played in over 40%. I think that's mm. just such a huge gap when Thrilling Discovery does effectively the same things, uh, but it's also giving you a chance to gain life. And that's just a, such a huge gap for a commander that really wants some very good creatures in the graveyard. So Thrilling Discovery being able to loot away different cards from your hand, putting them into the graveyard, is just a great and efficient way to do that. I also think just with any type of graveyard type of interactions, whether it's Gen or Canem Weaver, or maybe with this new Capenna set that they, they've said uh, wedges are gonna be kind of heavily favored, Maybe that's another chance for some sort of Mardu type of graveyard interaction deck to, to really come out. So Thrilling Discovery is a card I just think folks really need to keep an eye out for because it's just, it for me, it's done so much good work that I, I really think that it's it's better than the, the 5,000-ish deck that, decks that it currently is in. That's a really cool pick. And you know, you're speaking my language again, putting stuff into the graveyard so that you can get it back later. Matt, I really like I, that. I know my audience. 
<laughs> Absolutely. And it's kind of funny that you would mention um, some of the commanders you did there, for example, Gen Arcane and Weaver, because the challenge that I've got this week, I think would also be pretty good for Gen, but it's also going to be good just for a bunch of different styles of decks. This is the card Parallax Wave, which is monstrously underplayed right now. It is a four mana enchantment with fading five. So it's got five counters on it and they do go away. And if you can't remove a counter from this enchantment, then it will sacrifice itself. But the effect that it's got is so worth that ticking time bomb because it is such a tricky card. You can remove one of those counters, one of those fade counters from Parallax Wave to exile target creature. And then when the Parallax Wave itself goes away, then each player returns all of the exiled creatures from Parallax Wave right back to the battlefield. This is a very very tricky enchantment because that ability is instant speed. If someone's attacking you, you can exile one of their creatures. If you want to have your own stuff get blinked and then the parallax wave goes away, that is a cool way to blink your own creatures for more enter the battlefield effects. And this is such a wild type of card. Gen could be using it because it is an enchantment that he can continually get back from the graveyard to constantly mess with the board whenever someone tries to attack him. More specifically, you can use it in blink decks like Aminatu the Fate Shifter or Brago. Like seriously, only 6% of Brago decks are currently playing parallax wave. And this is such a tricky blink enchantment that has so many different applications. I think this is just a card that needs to see a whole lot more play. It only shows up in 1600 decks total right now, and it's so strange and powerful that I just think it deserves a little bit more love. So that is my pick for this week's, the, the first challenge I've got for 2022, Parallax Wave, very tricky card. And now, Dana, I'll pass it to you. Round it out with your Challenge the Stats. We have a challenge sent to us by listener Gordon Miller. Um, and it is for the card Swell of Courage. It's three white, white, and it says creatures you control get plus two, plus two until end of turn. Um, so it's an instant that you can use as like a combat trick if you're going wide in a token deck or something in particular. Um, what's important here, though, is it has Reinforce X. So for X, white, white, you discard the card and put X plus one counters on target creature. And that's not really a counterable ability. That's just something that you can use kind of, so it's not a counterable spell, I should say, it's an ability. So it gets around counter spells. Where it's suggested we run it is in Felisa Fang of Silver Quill. Oh. Um, Felisa has flying and, and mentor, but most importantly, whenever a non-token creature you control dies, if it had counters on it, you create X tapped to one, uh, white and black inkling creature tokens with flying where X is the number of counters you had on it. So it does double duty in a Felisa deck. It can, in response to something dying, give you an uncounterable way to throw a pile of counters on it to make a ton of those 2-1 inklings. Or if you already have the inkling army, you can use the, the actual just buff mode and make it easier to kill somebody. Um, it probably also works pretty well in an Alend of the Dusk Rose deck, kind of doing a similar thing, but um, <laughs> Felisa probably really shines, I would say, and it's in just 35 total decks in EDH rec. Um, that's basically a rounding error at that point. Um, I'm, I'm in total agreement. It should show up in more Felisa decks and more Alenda decks and probably just more Gawai decks in general. It's a really decent card. That is a tricky one. And I got a much, much like big clap to the listener who submitted that because uh, Dana, I know that it is one of your missions to always find the challenge the stats picks that show up in like less than 100 decks. And that's <laughs> there we go. Yeah, we, we, we got there, fam. Yeah, that's a very specific pick, but I think that's really, really cool. Also, Dana just said fam, and that's... that's it's, new. My New Year's resolution is to use slang from four years ago. <laughs> oh, okay. There that sounds go. lit. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Let's get back to our main topic. So we talked about some of our weird decks or tribal decks or favorites and signatures, but let's actually ask, what is your most played deck? Like, when you sit down, what is the commander that... Like as not, you just kind of always instinctively reach for that one. And maybe this is also something that has kind of shifted more recently. But currently, what is one of your most played commanders? Matt, let's start with you. When you sit down to play EDH, which do you tend to gravitate towards most? I think the deck that I, I tend to reach for initially, especially when I'm playing with somebody new that I haven't played with before, is my Ukima and Kazer deck. Uh, that's my mm -hmm. plus one, plus one counters in Sultai colors. Uh, and I, I don't know why, because I feel like... 
It probably is actually because it's it's a fairly modal deck. It never really takes over in any like super oppressive way. Uh, interacts very well with a lot of what other people are doing. As it, Jason Altu writes his uh, 75% articles over at Cool Stuff Inc. You might check those out, but he talks about 75% where it's kind of adjustable to kind of what you're doing uh, with the table around you. And this mm-hmm. deck kind of falls in that that realm of I'm not doing anything overly powerful myself. There's some powerful interactions, but it never really does anything outside of what other people tend to be doing. So I think that's probably the deck that I, I tend to grab the most. And just uh, plus one, plus one counters, that's a type of, of theme that it's going to get support in some sort of fashion nearly every other set. So there's always new cards that I could be looking to, whereas stuff like other decks we might talk about here in the future that we don't change very often, um, I have decks that I haven't edit changed anything on really uh for quite some time so this is a deck that always has something new that i could be putting in i like that because there there are certainly like famously combo orientated versions of ukima and Kazer, but no. for you it could be as powerful as i've got the corpse jack menace doubling all of the counters that i'm going to put everywhere and then ukima is going to hit for like 20 and if it leaves the battlefield it'll still hit for like 20 but then you're also playing a bunch of like random little like implement of ferocity kind of cards that are just like eh, a little one that commander staple implement of ferocity watch out <laughs> Right. And so I like that because you're right. That is very adjustable. There can certainly be, certainly be moments where you are popping off and then there could also be yeah. moments where like this is a, a really nice thing. And I love what you said there about it being a thing that can uh, kind of conform to a lot of different play experiences depending on the table around you. I really like that. That's a really good pick to always gravitate towards. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. You're very, very welcome. So Dana, is yours as good a pick? <laughs> I don't, this is me forcing a segue over to you. Let's let's talk about what is a, a commander that you tend to pick a whole lot whenever you sit down to play. So so it's just a guess because I have not logged the games of commander I've played since 2019. <laughs> um, in 2019, when I did in fact log the games of commander I played, I'm sorry, um, what? I'm sorry. Wait, no, 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 no. We can't just that. That what? I'm sorry. You logged all of the games that you played. Yeah, I, I, I played 352 games in 2019. Um, and that's impressive. 96 worth my, my thing with the nightclad deck. So that, that year, that was my most frequently played deck. Um, this year, I would guess it would either be Jury Master of the Review or, um, Arden and SUR Partners, uh, Equipment Partners deck. My, those are both relatively new. So I know I was, I just tended to lean into grabbing one of those two decks just to kind of get reps and work on, figuring out the rhythms of the decks, what cards I wanted to add and remove and tweak, that kind of thing. So this calendar year, or I should say last calendar year, 2021, those are the two decks. One of those two was certainly the the, the ones I played the most. I, I got more questions about you logging every single game that you played, but that sounds like it must have been a very edifying experiment. Holy dang. That's, that I, I believe that you can find an article from 2019 on EDH Rec <laughs> that I wrote about it. That is pretty cool. And yeah, honestly, having played against you, I do think that Jury is one that I saw a whole lot this year. And Jury is quite a smasher. That two mana, whenever you sacrifice stuff, it gets a bunch of counters on it. And whenever Jury dies, you turn all of those counters into damage against someone. Like, I remember being clocked for like 57 damage by Jury several times in 2021. Yeah, it, it was also a fun deck. I, I, I had wanted to f- build a deck. I'm not really a combo player. But if you're not a combo player, that leaves combat damage, really. And I was trying to find a way to do something that wasn't just necessarily creature beats as well. So Jerry kind of fit that bill. It let me build a Rakdos stack, which I didn't have. And it let me find a way to, to, to actually kill people without having to rely on either combo or combat damage. Yeah, I, I like it. it. You might say that uh, you've been judged by a jury of your peers. Yeah, uh-huh. you, you might say that. <laughs> but we shouldn't say that? Is that what I, I would recommend it, but like, you might. <laughs> Okay. Well, it, it's funny there too, because I think one of mine, uh, my most played of the past year was also a Rakdos deck, and that's Karazakar, the Eye Tyrant. I fell in love with this Beholder. Holy crap, the five mana, whenever you attack someone, you tap and goad one of their creatures, and whenever your opponents attack each other, you get to draw cards and lose life, and I, I, holy, the combat manipulation is something I had always been looking for. I'd been trying it out at the beginning of the year with Card Door the Doom Scourge that released early on in 2021, and it was good, but it wasn't exactly what I wanted. And then Karasikar came, and I was like, ah, oh. and I just swear every time that I sit down to play EDH, that is the deck that my hand immediately grabs. I'm just, I really love playing this deck and making my opponents attack each other. It just instigates so much randomness across the battlefield, too. There's just so much interperson, in, like interaction going on, and I love seeing that dynamic forced into a game and being able to pull strings here and there that is such a fun fun deck to play and i'm uh, i just I, I love it beauty is in the eye of the beholder 
Ha ha Because Beholder. Uh, there it is. There it is. I'm not nearly as good at the bad, no. bad jokes as you guys are. I, I think if we need to go back to talking about jury to review that joke that you just made. <laughs> ah, oh. no. <laughs> okay. Well, you might say that my, uh, my dad jokes Ish. need work. The... So um, <laughs> how about we talk about our decks that need the most work, too? Does that segue? Is that that, that was your best segue that's today, good. so let's... <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So, so okay, those are uh, decks that we've played a whole lot, but like, what's a deck that we're still tinkering with? What's one that you are still kind of finagling, trying to get right? What's something that's currently, you know, still more in the work in progress section? Matt, what is a, uh, what's still under construction, so to speak? Um, I, I think definitely my Alibu Ancient Witness deck is the one that I, I want it to work, but it just hasn't gotten there quite yet. I, I, I've tried putting in a bunch of cards like Gear Per Aether Grid, where I'm able to turn a bunch of artifacts sideways, like maybe some treasure tokens or some food tokens or anything like that. That way I'm fueling up Alibu's passive ability or triggered ability, I should say, uh, whenever my artifact creatures attack and get to dome my opponents for X with all those tapped artifacts. Uh, so I like finding ways to get a bunch of tapped artifacts that otherwise wouldn't have been. That way I'm not mm. relying on creatures. It's just a hard getting there. Uh, I ran into an issue where I was kind of running out of cards in pretty much every game. So finding some some good engines like Thrilling Discovery, where I'm able to kind of keep card advantage coming along. Uh, I've put some of those in there. So I'm really kind of working on it. It's not quite there yet, but uh, it, it's, it's getting there slowly but surely. I think for me, um, it's also a Boros deck. Um, I have an Adriana Captain of the Guard uh, token <laughs> deck built basically to go wide and use the Adriana buff on as many creatures as possible. Um, I just haven't quite figured out what I need to have the right balance to take the most advantage of, of that. Um, in part, Boros is challenging, I think, in general. Um, and Adriana's not the best card in the world. Um, it's also not a lot of fun that the more people you eliminate, the worse your commander gets. Um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't think about that. That's not ideal either. Um, so, so that's one I, I've kind of, I have not quite figured out how to make it work the way I want it to work yet. I mean, really all my decks are a work in progress. I'm never not tinkering with a deck. Um, <laughs> nothing's ever finished. I, I, I enjoy messing around with my, my decks constantly. So, so I'm never a hundred percent happy with anything, but like, that's the one that feels like I haven't like quite figured out what I wanted to do yet. So it's 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 still very much feels like a beta deck compared to most of the rest of mine. And uh, I love that because I actually heard a, a little thing from Matt there where he was just like, oh, a Boros deck also still in a, a construction, like big surprise. Uh, but it's also just funny to me because Matt, I know that for you, uh, the idea of a deck never being finished, you, you really do want to like crack the code and figure it out. And then you can just like have it make some small upgrades, but you really like finding it and then feeling as comfortable with it. And that's a very different dynamic, I think, than how Dana and I tend to build. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like I'm, I, I, my deck building approach is kind of like the, uh, the old infomercials from the early 2000s with that some cooking machine where the, the tagline was set it and forget it. Uh, <laughs> that's my approach to decks. I, I like knowing that a deck is done so I don't have to look over my shoulder every new set to make sure I'm not missing out on some new banger of a card. Yeah, that's a, a good way to make sure that all of the new sets that are constantly coming out aren't forcing you to constantly reevaluate all of your stuff. It's nice to have them there. So that yeah. that is also a nice thing to make it feel like, you know, the, the work in progress that you're doing isn't, you know, too widespread, I guess would be a, a way to put it. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder if this would be an experience that resonates with you guys. For me, I feel like the deck that I always am constantly messing with, tinkering with, is one that I've, I have had for a very long time, and that's actually Rehan and Ishai, my four-color plus-one counters deck. And Matt, you have a, a very uh, a multicolor plus-one counters deck, and Dana, I think maybe you've dabbled around here and there with some uh, multicolor decks uh, as well. But like the fact that this is a four-color deck means that there's so much that I could play that I am constantly reevaluating whether I have the right configuration of cards in that deck because the the world is my oyster, and I don't have as many limitations there, and that means I could play anything. But changing one card means maybe there's a domino effect where I want to change three other cards and then five other cards are a result of that. And then there's so much that I could be doing that I never feel completely done with that deck, despite me having had it for a really long time. Well, and you also get that many more new cards every set that could conceivably <laughs> work on your deck. So like <laughs> there's that many more potential changes as well that's that, that throws the mix off constantly. So, so Joey... I know you said you're always tinkering and I don't like to tinker. So do you have any deck building habits like myself? Uh, Dana, maybe you too. Do you have any decks that you guys don't change at all or you haven't changed for a while? 
Ooh, yes. I I would say the deck the deck of mine that I go through. It, it, it's kind of funny actually. So I have a four color deck that I feel like I'm constantly in flux with. But then the deck of mine that I almost never change is probably my Titania Protector of Argoth deck. Like there are new landfall cards that come out a whole lot, especially whenever we return to Zendikar sets. But Titania is a landfall deck that actually cares about my lands dying so that I can make elemental tokens rather than lands entering the battlefield. So I feel like that one is a pretty rare thing for me to upgrade because of how optimized it actually is. It's so consistent. I'm able to get a whole bunch of mana very consistently with that deck. And then I've got the sacrifice outlets that I know that I want to get rid of my lands to make a bunch of elementals. I have the haste enablers that I know I want in that deck already to make those elementals immediately lethal. I've got the card draw in the deck that I know I like, like elemental bond and Kavu layer. Like that is a very efficient, very tuned. I would almost dare to say that it is my most powerful deck, in fact, because of how consistent it is and how dangerously explosive it can be. So that is probably the deck that I feel is the most finished and that I almost never change whenever new sets come out. If anything, the changes that I do make are just aesthetically to change out some of the basics for a new type of basic land art that I might like more. Um, but I feel like I rarely, rarely change the configuration of that deck, which is just kind of funny because it's a monocolor deck versus the deck that I changed the most is a four-color deck. Yeah. Um, for me, I think the answer would be um, my Athreos uh, Pestilence deck. And it's for kind of a similar reason, um, the way the deck is built, there's just not a lot of effects that come out very often that work with that deck. Uh, you know, Pestilence, for example, is a card from Alpha, and there's a few variants of it over the years, but we haven't really had one since Pestilence Demon back in the first Zendikar set, which is like 60 years ago or so now. <laughs> Roughly um, 60, yeah. 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 So, you know, occasionally we'll get a spell that will like an enchantment or something that I can run in the deck that keeps me from taking damage from pestilences. So that kind of thing will pop up now and again. But for the most part, that's a, that's the kind of deck where maybe one or two cards over the course of the, uh, of, of a year like this year where we got, you know, 11 new sets, I'll, I'll get one or two cards for it and that's it. So it's not that it's done or, or, or I've hit this perfect end state with it. It's just the way the deck is designed. We just don't get a lot of new cards that fit it very often. That's absolutely where I'm finding my Omnath Lucas of Rage deck. Uh, it's it's pretty efficient. That's I would say it's arguably one of my more powerful decks too. Uh, so it's it's been worked out. Like it's I think it's right where I want it to be. But that also means that I'm not going to get very many cards because they I mean, they are not really putting cultivate into standard legal sets that right. often uh, or at least cultivate level like they did in a course set a few years ago, but they're not putting stuff that's better than that. And cultivates one of the weaker cards in the deck at this point. So it's the, the bar for how powerful a card needs to be, especially when it comes to lands matters, mm -hmm. needs to be pretty, pretty powerful in order to make it into at least consideration for Omnath. And that's just kind of where the, the deck has been. Uh, there there are some good cards that I've, I've considered. And then there's some that like Cultivator Colossus, I know everybody was kind of really overboard with that card for landfall decks. And I don't think I gave it a second glance. I was like, that's that's not good enough. <laughs> and so, it, which is kind of crazy to say, but also I just, I, by that point I have, you know, when I reach that threshold of mana, there's other things I can be doing. Uh, so yeah, I, I would say Omnath Locus of Rage is a deck that I just, I don't know if I've changed a card in over a year because it's just, it's pretty set and uh, the, the bar is fairly high. Yeah, no, that that totally makes sense. I, the the lands especially, there are so many of those different strategies that once you do get to know them so well, new stuff comes out, and it's so interesting to see all of the conversation that can happen around those cards. But the personal experience that you have with the decks, sometimes they get really sealed, they get really solid, and especially Matt, when you're uh, setting it and forgetting it, like sometimes just strategically, that is actually kind of sometimes the correct move to do because even though there is new exciting looking stuff, it isn't always mm -hmm. like even if you were interested and you were like invested in seeing all of the new stuff that's coming out sometimes they can actually distract you from the main point of your deck i've certainly had those moments where i went out got a whole bunch of new spicy looking cards and then i played them in my decks and over time i was like these actually aren't necessarily as good as what i was playing initially which is a, a pretty interesting you know <laughs> experience to go through and you're like oh my first instinct was good and the new stuff was shiny but ultimately ended up being slightly a bit of a distraction sometimes it's a very interesting experience to go through as all mm -hmm. and, and and it's kind of interesting here I, I think it's worth noting that the decks that we almost never change are not necessarily the same as our strongest or our most powerful decks and this is actually a subject that we've discussed on a patreon exclusive episode about 
about what each of us thinks the other's most powerful deck is. And that's kind of a, a fun experiment to see. But like, I just think it's worth noting that the most powerful deck that we have is not necessarily the one that undergoes the least amount of change. And that's just a fun distinction to make there because power and how often you change a deck is not necessarily always related. And that's a cool lesson to keep in mind. Um, but instead of talking about that, you know, especially with the ways that we're going into this year and we want to be vibing in this fun stuff, this crazy stuff that we're able to do in games of EDH, the, the most important question for me right now actually is kind of like, guys, what is your most Sparks Joy deck? Like, what is just the most EDHist of the EDH decks that you have? Uh, Dana, let's start it off with you. When it comes to Commander, what is just the deck that like gives you that same Matt Morgan giggle fest going on whenever you're doing stuff? What accesses that really just totally unabashed fun side of Commander for you? Um, for the moment, it would probably be my Arden and Essior equipment deck. Um <clears throat> I'd wanted an equipment deck for a while and I was trying to not build a Boros one because everyone kind of goes that route. So I wound up going with Azorius equipment and it's been a lot of fun in part because you get a lot of weird interactions that kind of do make me giggle in that deck. Um, being able to, you know, tap equipment that my commander is wearing to draw cards off a Shimmer Dragon, for example, that lets you tap untapped artifacts to draw cards, <laughs> like is just a fun interaction that you don't really have access to in Boros Colors. That kind of thing just like makes me giggle. Or the card vanish into memory where you, you exile target creature and draw cards equal to that creature's power. I can I can hit my commander with that, who's you know like a twelve twelve or something because of equipment. Draw twelve cards. The equipment all comes off, and when he comes back into play, I only have to discard a couple of cards because he's no longer buffed up. That's cool. And then Arden lets me just re-equip for free anyway. That's so cool. So there's really no downside to it. It winds up drawing me a fistful of cards. I get to play a stupid spell that almost nobody plays, and it winds up being really good in that deck. There's just a handful of things in that deck that that kind of work that way. An Echo Storm, because I have two commanders. Yes. It's very easy to, <clears throat> to, to cast multiple copies of Echo Storm and, you know, create multiple copies of, you know, some ridiculous sword. A lot of things just work nicely in an Azorius equipment deck in a way I didn't plan that are almost always fun or funny. That, those, those are some sick interactions, dude. I, I love that. That's that's really cool. But I will also say that deck, despite being like a funny spark trophy, that deck's also still like super spicy to play against. And like Yeah, it also works too, right? It's it's not just like doing memey things, it, it's doing silly things and it's also effective, which is also a lot of fun. Yeah. And that's for for me, I would say that the a deck that I specifically built to be a Sparks Joy deck, that's my Mazarek deck, which I've been trying to figure out how I wanted to approach this commander forever, because that's the five mana uh, Golgari commander that whenever a player sacrifices something, you put a plus one counter on all of your stuff. The issue that I always ran into it is that like tuning Mazarek up was inevitably going to lead down roads of combo because his plus one counter ability works with abilities like Persist that put minus one counters on things and bring them back and it goes infinite. It, and that just wasn't what I really wanted to do with him. I just wanted to sacrifice stuff and have fun with it. And eventually I was just like, oh yeah, let's just do random token stuff and I'll just eat up all of my lands to get a bunch of plus one counters on all of my creatures. I'll just make a bunch of tokens with an Endrixar Master Breeder and then I'll play a Zurin Orb and it doesn't really matter what's going on. I'm going to sacrifice seven lands and hopefully swing for lethal next turn. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. But it's fun to play on that edge because it can be powerful and it can totally backfire and it produces fun stories no matter what is going on. And I also just get to play like that's a deck I'm not even playing Soul Ring in because I just want to play fun things like Cartographer is like my favorite art in the game, for instance. So that is a, a deck that I specifically went out of my way to build a Spark Story deck. And I'm like, dang, this is how I should be doing it most of the time because it's just you get to play funny, fun stuff. So now, Matt, for you, Mr. Giggle Fest when moving to combat, what about you? What is the deck that just makes you feel like you're doing the most easy? EDH, EDH stuff. Oh, I, man, Joey, I think mine probably would have to be at this point, my Vivictus Asmati the Dire. Uh, that deck is just, it's cram full of seven and eight drops. I think we were looking at the average CMC and it's it's almost four. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the, the curve starts at four joke that we make over at twitch.tv slash EDH Retcast about the deck. Like It absolutely is true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, it's so much fun though, because the deck is just built around how many different ways can I cheat some 
eight drop into play like angrass marauders how can i uh find a way to get that into play or or you can't spell slaughter without laughter so <laughs> how can i cheat an avatar of slaughter into play yeah and that's just that's just what the deck does and it's so much fun to to play around and and, and just cheat things into play uh Sometimes it can get carried away. Like the last time that I played it on stream, uh, it had a very hot start and it did, it made the game very, it progressed very quickly, you might say. Um, but yeah, otherwise, other, sometimes it just sits around and it, it hard casts naturally these six, seven, eight drop creatures and uh, eventually it gets there. So it's just, it's super fun. It's just playing these big, dumb creatures that uh, otherwise you're not going to play any of these creatures in any other format. But where else are you going to play Molten Primordial if not in Commander <laughs> in 2022? Uh, or Demon of Dark Schemes. That's another card that I just, I love cheating out and it's a good way to reanimate all of my stuff. Yes. Um, it's just so much fun. Or who who puts Protein Hulk in there with genuine intentions? Matt Morgan, that's who. That's who. Uh, I, I Protein Hulk for tireless tracker and it's a scavenging ooze or something. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's just like I just I love what that deck does. Um, it's got some just big dopey creatures, but uh, man, cheating into cheating a noxious gear Hulk into play is just. <gasps> it, it makes me feel feelings, and that's uh, that's why I have this deck. Yeah, I, I love I love the stuff that you're up to with Vevictus because because I have a Yannette deck that cheats things into play off the top of my deck, but then you've got Vevictus over there who's chaos warping everything in play, and sometimes lets people like me cheat stuff into play off the top of the deck, but more often lets you cheat enormous things into play off the top of your deck, and it's so funny to see the stuff that you're up to. You know, using Vevictus to destroy your own Ugin's Nexus so that you will get an extra turn and you slam an eight drop into play for free, like. If that's not the most EDH experience, I don't know what is. And I love those places where you can just play the stuff that, like you said at the top of the show, you don't necessarily get to do in other formats. And it's hilarious. Like like you've said in past episodes, it's one of those decks that is fun to lose to. And that's one of the things that I appreciate so much about the way that you guys build and the way that, you know, when I play against other folks too, is that like, I love those decks that are fun to lose to because you get to see people doing those crazy cool fun things. And that is certainly one of those decks for sure. I mean, th this deck absolutely would have been a terror if it were around in 2012 <laughs> yes, yes but considering this is 10 years later um this deck just it's it's just fun to play and that's where we'll leave it and i i also gotta say matt it's kind of nice to see that like i think you know we, we're kind of having an effect on each other's deck building styles after doing this show for so long too because you know you mentioned how much fun it is for you and that deck to cheat things into play which is usually something that i do a little bit but then i'm starting to build some more tribal decks like you tend to do a bit i'm getting a bit more aggro we're both becoming i think a little bit more hipster just by watching dana play for example so like it, it's fun mm -hmm. to see how these predilections can kind of like you know vibe off of each other as well and they kind of we find other resonant experiences not just in the decks that we've built but also in the decks that our friends have built too and i think that's a wholesome start to 2022 i agree and if you'd like to find a link to our decks that should be in the show notes down below and if you do a search for edh recast and our decks you should be able to find that just with a google search as well yeah, absolutely. And and that's they're linked in every show and folks, it's just so cool to see also that like folks are interested in the decks that we play and what is so much fun about those. We get a bunch of questions about it and this has been a really fun show to go over so that we can show folks the, the stuff that we enjoy playing. And listeners, we also really like seeing the decks that you play too. So we'd love to know what your different decks are that fit into these categories. Like what do you think is your Sparks Joy deck? What is your signature deck? What is the deck that you play the most often? Have you done as Dana did and logged all of the games that you played in 2019, which is a perfectly normal thing to do with your finite minutes on this earth. Is that the thing <laughs> that you've done? Uh, I Thank, thanks, man. I think they can feel, I, I was getting a little bit like uh, unsure about that. I was self-conscious <laughs> about it, but it made me feel better. I'm totally, totally messing. I think that's really cool. And there's a lot that you can learn by examining your own decks and your own habits this way. And so this is a fun, edifying uh, episode for us to do, a fun start to the year. And listeners, we hope that it's edifying for you as well. This is super fun. And now I'm just really in the mood to go play EDH. So I think that we should call this episode to a close so that we can go and do that. Fellas, if our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find us all? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, Wednesday evenings, we are streaming over at Twitch 
twitch.tv slash EDH RecCast. We have guests on every single week, so make sure you tune in because the games always turn into something silly. Uh, they're so much fun and the guests are great. So yeah, make sure you tune in Wednesday evenings. Indeed. And Dana. You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach. You can hear me on the other podcast, CMDR Central. I am writing articles for both EDH Rec and Commander's Herald. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDH RecCast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. And you can find the cast at EDH RecCast on Facebook and on Twitter as well. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRecCast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Josh LeQuay and the whole team at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on the podcast. And we want to thank our sponsors, TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. Plus, you can visit Altersleeves.com slash EDHRecCast for cool, custom EDHREC sleeves, including some of the cards that we talked about in this very episode. Listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.